0: The Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Tomer Anan, and I'm bringing you today's podcast from New York. We're approaching the anniversary of the enactment of the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2022, which one head of U.S. Shippers Association said changed what the Federal Maritime Commission is all about. The bill was signed in the midst of a supply chain crisis that saw carriers' profits surge, much to their great surprise. While shippers were encumbered with skyrocketing rates and piles of paired DM fees, often levied indifferently and for circumstances behind their control. In the run up and aftermath of its signing, Osra enjoyed rare bipartisan support. US importers and exporters struggled with fees, rates, and capacity, and carriers, now flush with more money than they ever expected, were portrayed as price gouging villains. Now, while the carriers certainly didn't do themselves any favors when it came to per diem chargers, the Federal Maritime Commission came out in the midst of the crisis and said that there is robust competition in the ocean shipping industry. FMC Commissioner Rebecca Dye reiterated that view this week, saying the pandemic did not lead to anti-competitive behavior. if Liners thought that Congress's interest in ocean shipping will fade after Oswald's enactment and with the winding down of supply chain congestion, U.S. lawmakers had other ideas. A flurry of U.S. legislation introduced over the last few months shows that when it comes to ocean shipping and China, U.S. lawmakers are able to see past their usual partisan bickering. Uh, These bills are in preliminary stages, but given their potential impact on container shipping, they're certainly worth a look. The proposed bills cover a wide range of topics, from banning the use of Chinese made software in U.S. ports, to cancelling ocean carriers' antitrust exemptions in the U.S., Uh, complaints against the Shanghai shipping exchange, limitation on foreign made read Chinese, port equipment and software and more. I spoke with Lauren Began, a former FMC attorney and founder of Maritime Consulting and Legal Solutions from Squall Strategies, to recap the years since Osro's enactment to explore what's in these new proposals. Let's start with an overview of Osra and the circumstances around its enactment.
0: Yeah, so so Osra Ocean Shipping Reform Act um of twenty twenty two um certainly is the big thing everybody's talking about. Um it was ultimately passed June sixteenth, twenty twenty two. Um it modifies it's the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. So it's reforming the shipping uh, so it's it's the shipping act. Um the shipping act of nineteen eighty four. Uh, which was a law that basically gave the FMC um, the authority to monitor and and uh, basically be the, the overall jurisdictional authority for ocean shipping that meets the, the U.S. shore. So it's for the benefit of the U.S. consumer, importer and exporter. The Shipping Act kind of plays those rules out. There was an Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 1998 that happened previously that kind of deregulated the industry. And then now we're seeing the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2022 that is beginning to build back a few of those, uh, maybe not necessarily the same regula- regulations that were uh, repealed previously, but certainly it's building in some uh, regulatory authority for the FMC. Kind of based on, you know, COVID and, and the challenges with uh, increased um, increased demand, increased congestion, uh, there, there were certain things, certainly congestion being one of them, that the FMC had taken note of in 2015. They they actually released a congestion report at, in 2015, so pre-anybody thinking about COVID. And then 2020 happened, and really, if you look at the 2015 report, you're like, well, some of these things were already, <laughs> you know, buildings. So to, to blame it all on COVID is probably a little unfair, to blame the spike of demand all of a sudden and kind of the exacerbating of the problems. Certainly was was something that happened during COVID. So all of that to say, Azra Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2022 was really predicated on that spike of demand and the congestion and all the problems that came along with with stressing of the supply chain during 2020 and 2021.
1: There was obviously a lot of controversy with regards to ocean carriers and, and peridium diem charges, uh, especially during the peak congestion. Uh, and while there's still some issues burdening the U.S. supply chains, we are very far from the peak congestion of last year and the record-shattering freight rates. Uh, And some carriers have been in loss-making territory this quarter. Yet the statements accompanying some of these bills, they repeat those accusations of price gouging and market manipulation by the, quote, foreign-flagged and foreign-based carriers, who, by the way, a lot of them have pretty big operations in the U.S., Um, And of course, there's the robust doses of anti-China messaging. Uh, So what do you think continues to drive this rhetoric?
0: So there were a lot of emotions going around. I mean, it was it was a tough time and and people were seeing detention and demurrage bills were their annual like P&L statements go up into the millions, you know. And, And so it had gone from potentially tens of thousands, hundred thousand, you know, potentially to now this is a significant section of of their their PL uh shippers and and ultimate, you know, end customers. So it, it, it you always want to have a bad guy, right? So that that's kind of, I feel like, where it where it was going. Were the carriers, were these ocean carriers the bad guys? I, I don't think they were the bad guys, right? In the midst of all of this, the FMC said, um, in a report, they said there's there's robust competition in the ocean carrier industry. I, I think everybody wanted to point to, oh, they're all colluding. They're all in this together, Nobody's watching them and they are purposely raising prices to twenty thousand dollars per shipment. And so a, a normal you know shipment might be 1200, $1,500 for this China to west coast route, and we saw twenty thousand dollars and and so everybody thought, There's got to be a smoking gun. What is the reason here? We can't just go up to 20,000. Part of the reason, and and I say, you know, I don't think that the ocean carriers were the bad guys. Were they maybe making some bad decisions? I'm not sure. I I think that that's maybe where we were, or maybe they were making decisions based on, uh, you know, a, a different interpretation of what we now kind of are all agreeing to is, is for the the charges, surcharges, congestion charges, detention demurrage. Um, and that's what the FMC is systematically going through, right? That's where the case law is really going to illuminate what did the FMC under the Shipping Act, it's not just like the will of the FMC, but what does the FMC and in their interpretation of the Shipping Act find to be appropriate or inappropriate on assessing these charges? And so lost business um, as being one of the reasons for detention or demurrage is one of the things that it seems like, and this is not legal advice, but it seems like the FMC is tending to say, look, if if that box was tied up somewhere, you can't then also be recovering for the lost business that you are missing out by being able to reuse that box. And that was maybe one of the arguments floating around at the time. Um, so, So all that to say, I don't think that the carriers were the bad guys. Should we be bopping them in the nose? Like, like I think President Biden might've said at one point. Um, I, I don't think that that's right. It, it, it was an easy, perhaps scapegoat at the time. Um, I think that we are through clarity, through visibility, through all of these new guardrails of rules, cleaning that up so that we can't work in the shadows as much. And, and so we don't have that ambiguity. Um, I, I don't necessarily feel like it was a systematic, nefarious operation. but like I said, it was just different interpretations of how these charges, which were supposed to incentivize the movement of things, um, should be applied and what their limitations were. And that's where we're getting a lot of more a lot more clarity from the FMC these days is what are those limitations? When should it be applied or when when does the FMC under the shipping act feel like it's unfairly in being passed down? Um, I, I think it's no surprise at least partially the inflation that we feel in the u s right now was based on the um the the overall um, the overall just increased cost of shipping goods. Um, you know, at the time, it was also the type of goods that were being shipped. I don't know if we will ever have, again, another period of time where we were shipping so many couches, so many TVs. So many rugs, so many large pieces that, you know, I mean, a 40 foot box a 20 foot box is only 20 or 40 feet that, you know, to fill it up with larger items means less numbers of things coming through, which only takes up more space that would have otherwise been for maybe some of the smaller stuff. And so it just created this imbalance, not only with imports versus exports of the actual box that it's moving in, but also the space available that normally you could bring in certain number of units of a certain item and now you're bringing in bigger things, wood, lumber, timber, right? Like everybody was doing house projects. Like everything was just a larger scale of product coming in. So it caused some problems.
1: Mm -hmm. So we had a flurry of uh, proposed legislation uh, being introduced in the house over the last few months. I wanna focus on uh, three of them, specifically the first two. Uh, We have the Ocean Shipping Antitrust Enforcement Act, the Ocean Shipping Reform Implementation Act, and the Ocean Shipping Competition Enforcement Act. Uh, The first one I think is the most problematic, that's the Ocean Shipping Antitrust Enforcement Act. Uh, That one seeks to take away um, antitrust exemptions for ocean carriers, uh, essentially ending alliances and vessel sharing agreements. Um, So maybe you can give us an overview on that
0: yeah so so like you said these were all introduced on the house side so as we know right it takes a senate bill paired with it to move forward for the whole thing to move forward then to the president's desk so house would have to pass it senate would have to pass it they'd have to be roughly the same language and then paired up together and then the president would sign it it become a law so there still is quite a bit of work um to for any of these to to move forward so going back to the ocean shipping antitrust enforcement act though You're right, that one is pretty problematic. Um, Whether you like alliances or don't like alliances, it's pretty problematic for a few different reasons. Um, Let's start from the beginning. So an ocean alliance is basically a vessel sharing agreement. The best way to describe it is actually to to kind of talk about the airline industry. So that it's, it's roughly equivalent. So you might fly Delta and you might go from Boston to Denver and you can fly direct You might be on a Eagle Air doing business as Delta, but you book through Delta and that's all you know and that's really all you care about because they're part of an uh, air alliance. Whereas if you were to book through Southwest, they're not part of an air alliance and so you're going to be on Southwest, but because they only have so many planes and so many routes, you may need to stop over in Kansas City on your way to Denver. You didn't want to stop at Kansas City, but that's the only route that they offer and they don't have these these airlines that they can be flying, these these aircraft that you can be hopping onto in a sense of doing business as. Now, I say roughly equivalent because we're talking domestic versus foreign, but that for, I think for, for the purposes here of the um, illustration, I think you kind of get there. there's just better routing if you have a sharing of equipment. And so that's what happens in the ocean world through these vessel sharing agreements, through these ocean alliances is that now instead of three or four vessels traveling from, you know, a port in China to LA or Long Beach, you might, and and let's say they're all half full or 25% full, because prior to COVID, it was very, very prevalent to have not entirely full vessels. And so instead of having four vessels traversing that same route, roughly the same time, half full, now they could share that space. They're still competing for the business because they still want to be delta versus you know whomever the 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 co-chair is but now instead of having those four vessels do that same route they can combine efforts have one vessel doing that route and then those other two three vessels that were otherwise doing that route are now free to go to smaller ports or more diverse ports and so I like alliances as a general statement because they provide options. They they provide better service in general, as a as a general statement through the years to the shippers and where they want to send their goods through. Um, you're you're not so much trying to maneuver to the route, but you have more routing availability, and so you maybe have to do less over the road side of things. Um, I just think that repealing all of that, basically. So so basically what it is, this vessel sharing, they don't talk rates, they only talk operational side of things. Basically what this would do, this is an otherwise monopolistic thing, but they're not talking about rates, but they're otherwise pooling their their, their equipment together. The FMC, those agreements have to be filed with the FMC, and the FMC monitors all that activity to make sure that they don't get too much market share, that, that there's not um, unfair competition, uh, or or any sort of detriment to the general overall competition, they're watching this. They have almost as many, maybe they have more economists at the FMC as they do lawyers. So they really are a a competition authority that's watching what's happening in the ocean shipping world. And so these agreements, these vessel sharing agreements, these alliances serve a very valuable purpose to the shippers. Prior to alliances, generally. It was just a bunch of vessel sharing agreements that were filed here and there. It's harder to keep track of, arguably. So you're still going to have these these partnerships of vessel sharing, and you still do have these piecemeal partner sharing of of the vessel sharing, um, even with these alliances. But they streamlined the whole thing. They made it probably easier for the FMC to really watch and see what was going on and, and monitor the overall competitive effects. And it really, like I said, it really gives some benefit to the shippers overall. So repealing it eliminates that benefit to the shippers. But more than that, it's global shipping. It's not just U.S. shipping. It's global shipping. If you deny alliances the opportunity to have that antitrust enforcement in the U.S. trades, you're likely getting rid of it for the entire world. Um, There's also an argument to be made that these vessel sharing agreements, are allowing for port diversification. So where you otherwise have four vessels going on the same route, now through vessel sharing, you have four competing vessels, but you can you can smoothen it down to two. So now you're you're kind of compacting the capacity, but they're still vigorously competing for that same cargo. They're not sharing what rates they're they're giving for that cargo. And now you have two other vessels that were otherwise just trotting along right next to those other two that can now go to other ports. Um, I know that this actually has a major impact on Australian ports is what I've been hearing, Um, that if we were to get rid of ocean alliances as a global general thing, that we would potentially be limiting the access and availability for these vessels to otherwise go to some of these smaller ports or or more remote areas because they're going to be too busy trying to compete with half loads on the same route as all of their competing, um, carriers. So it's difficult, but I just don't think that this one's going to have a lot of meat behind it to, um, to, to, to move forward. And and this week when the house transportation and infrastructure committee was doing their markup on a bunch of different bills, I think they looked at 18 different bills, not all ocean shipping related. This one didn't come up.
1: So there's two other bills. Let's, Talk now about the um, Ocean Shipping Reform Implementation Act. That's the one that the committee took action on this week.
0: So we have two other bills, like you said, that we're we're looking at here. Um, the major one that we're really looking at is the Ocean Shipping Reform Implementation Act of 2023. The House is saying in this proposal, um, and specifically Congressman Johnson of South Dakota, is saying that this is cleaning up the things that they missed or weren't able to include In OSRA 22. So, as we might recall from OSRA 22, it initially started with some movement out of the House. Um, They passed a few different bills. They moved over. um, They got the attention of the Senate. The Senate then created their own bill. And the bulk of the language that went forward and ultimately became OSRA 22 was not the House version, it was the Senate version. And so, there's some things that we're seeing revived from their original uh, movement in in basically 21, 22. Uh, But then we're seeing a few different new things in this OSRA, this Ocean Shipping Reform Implementation Act. Um, So a a few of the things that we're seeing is there's a data collection discussion. they have the FMC as the lead authority, the rulemaking authority for data collection and data rulemaking. Um, be looking at data and standards and and the rulemakings associated there, which lines up with uh, FMC Commissioner Carl Bensel's recent initiative with the MTDI, the Maritime Transportation Data Initiative. Um, a few other things that we're seeing in this new um, OSRA implementation, um, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act implementation um is they want to we already have a national shipper advisory committee that's doing great work it's a really great way for shippers to have a direct conversation with the federal maritime commission and multiple shippers not just one or two but multiple shippers now they want to expand that and that's a federal advisory committee now they want to expand that into a national port advisory committee because previously we only had the shippers a port advisory committee and then this is new on this latest version a National Ocean Carrier Advisory Committee, which I think is a really interesting and really valuable conversation. Because like I said, these federal advisory committees really are supposed to be an, um, a more open line of communication um, without having to have a rulemaking for comments to be filed. But what these advisory committees do is they take you know questions from the agency directly or they, they take questions from the industry directly Chew on them, decide what they want to do with it, and then create some recommendations on behalf of the industry that they're representing to the agency. That then the agency responds to. In this case, we, like I said, we have the National Shipper Advisory Committee. There's quite a few recommendations that they've been putting forward on the FMC website. Now, I, I hope this. I hope this little limited part goes through because I'd love to see it. The National Port Advisory Committee and this really interesting National Ocean Carrier Advisory Committee. Um, there's also a few things that they're they're bringing china in of course right and and some of the language coming out about the um the the work that the committee is doing is is going to combat china okay well there's a few things in here that do that so they have um a new opportunity for uh, people to file complaints against shipping exchanges specifically they're kind of mentioning the shanghai shipping exchange and then they also mention in this um, in this proposal an independent study and report on the Shanghai Shipping Exchange where they do an independent audit of what their activities are, what um, you know, are they are they manipulating the industry, how all of that is working. So we'll we'll see how that how that all turns out.
1: In December last year, FMC Commissioners Carl Bensel and Max Vekic wrote to members of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee asking for legislation that will grant the FMC authority to block agreements between carriers and terminal operators if it finds them unreasonably anti-competitive. Currently, the Commission lacks that authority and has to file an injunction with the district court if it seeks to stop them. Now, the idea that the FMC should be able to block these agreements rather than go to an external court is the main premise behind the Ocean Shipping Competition Enforcement Act introduced by Representative John Garamendi. In the committee hearing this week, he tried to insert that idea as an amendment to the Ocean Shipping Reform Implementation Act, the one that the committee acted on, and he also tried to insert an amendment regarding jurisdictional gray area between the FMC and the Surface Transportation Board. Now, he ultimately withdrew both of these amendments, but that doesn't mean they won't return to the bill after some more work.
0: As of this moment, as of that markup, Garamendi actually withdrew both of those amendments, the gray area between FMC and STB and the FMC denial authority, um, because he said, basically, we need to work on this a little bit more. He asked the chairman, Chairman Graves of TNI i uh, committee to work with Garamendi to figure out this gray area and to uh, with the intention of including it in a future version of this draft and and the chairman said he'd be happy to work with him. So I don't think that we're going to see the end of this Ocean Shipping Competition Enforcement Act. Probably maybe the the official name might drop off, but I think that we might see this enter into this Ocean Shipping Reform Implementation Act of 2023 uh, in future versions. And again, preface the whole thing, right? This is just the House side. This is not the Senate side yet. So um, it could move pretty quick if we get a Senate version, if we get Senate language. Uh, but right now, they're really kind of working out the nuts and bolts. And and what, what um, Congressman Johnson really said is that, you know, we, we've put forward for 2022. We've been watching that play out over the past year, almost year, right? We're, we're just a, a few weeks shy of June 16th, which was the one year mark. Um, but there were a few ingredients left out of the original recipe. And so now, they're just trying to add those extra ingredients to make the overall impact on ocean shipping that much tastier, right? <laughs> for, for the American public. And, and obviously, uh, obviously that's who they're concerned about because these are right congressmen. So.
1: <laughs> right. And that also brings up the point that ocean carriers, they don't vote. Uh, they're not constituents, unlike, you know, importers and exporters. Uh, so Lauren, Thank you very much. It was great to have you on the podcast, and really appreciate your insight.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was such a great opportunity. Hopefully, we can continue the conversation. Well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more happening in the future here. So, I'm happy to help make sense of it all, and and just try to translate this this very wild ocean in the shipping world.